Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive 2014 Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem, too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great! Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutiae of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. Learn uh, nothing uh, after this point, but it will be extremely useful, the things you didn't, didn't learn. Uh, Rob, you did a fantastic job of moderating yesterday's uh, thing in your own inimitable improv style, so uh, maybe I should just pass this off to you. Um, yes, definitely. Can you remind me what I said we'd talk about first? What, today? Like, yes. GMing things. GMing things. We're going to GM. We're going to cover things like that, uh, that a lot of people have questions about. Things like icon relationships that's and right. how to handle them at the table. Not at first. Well, yeah, not at well, first. No. Hang on to that No, one. no, because, yeah, that's going to so that could take things, up all session. What, wait, what were the things that I thought that maybe we should con- handle before that as well? Uh, well, I mean, some of the other things that are unique to 13th Age are, of course, the uh, one unique thing and uh, backgrounds and how to GM with those. And then... People in the audience may have questions. They may oh have things boy. that they're grappling with at the table that they want us to address in so, the short time we have together. So here's the... That's awesome. So the one thing I like to do is to get to know the audience. And the funny thing is, who did I see yesterday in a panel? All right. So you've already heard... I, you know, so they've already had questions, so I don't want to bore them. I'll have to ask other ones. How many of you run your own podcasts? All right. Oh, it's like, what are you doing with your hand I down? Don't, I don't run a podcast. Okay, I'm right. on a podcast. Ah, <laughs> he has people. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right, okay, Are you kidding? Right, you know what kind of a pain in the ass that is? Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to do that. So, okay, here we are in Game Master's advice. Um, <laughs> did the Players Union... Are any of you members of the Players Union instead of being Game Masters? You're never Game Masters. Hello! Oh. Hi there! Okay, so if, when we have questions that must be asked of players... <laughs> all uh, the GMs will look to you. We're going to, <laughs> you're, you're going to speak, you're you're going to speak to for all 13th you, age players. That's right. right. <laughs> they're, they're, so definitely think of a couple questions to ask players, because we actually yeah. have a player here. This never happens. This is awesome. <laughs> this is great. It's good. Um, how, second question that really is for Game Masters. Um, how many of you are Game Masters who really don't want to play? Like, you don't, you don't want to... You, if you're going to be in a game, you'd rather be the game master. One. And two. Okay, there's two. All right. And I'm... Yeah, three. It's like, you see, it's hard to admit. It's yeah. kind of like, I like the control. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I'm sort of there. Um, one of the guys I work with on the Grantha Project is one of the world... He's a great game master. But as a... So, here's another thing. Okay, in my life, I was a terrible player when I started out because I was a pretty good game master. <laughs> you know, and so it was like, so I was a pain in the ass as a player. Like, when I was a player, I was just, I was awful. And I think back, like, in, in now that I'm on the internet, there are people who I sometimes, okay, this is really too much, but sometimes I think, I need to track that guy down on the internet and apologize, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I was so bad at his campaign. Is there anybody else who has those feelings besides me? Okay, excellent. Thank you for raising your hands halfway. You make me feel like I'm not the only guilty one. May may I ask uh, a couple of questions? Sure. Um, So I... So I was uh, a game master and a player um, when I got into role-playing games in like 1980. 
and then uh, when I went away to college, I left my group behind, and so I really didn't game until role-playing games until fourth edition came out, and someone invited me to join. Looking back, um, I was an awful game master um, back then. Um, how many of you are now or have ever been awful GMs? How many of you think you are now good GMs? Okay. Define good. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I just <laughs> like do you do you consider nice. do you consider yourself a good GM? And you can interpret that you can interpret that however you want. You get well. Okay. Uh, well, you no, give no. your you give your players a good experience at the table. So your hand is not going up. I see. Oh, <laughs> 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 I entertain myself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. They just don't realize that. Okay, so one thing I tend to usually forget, I mean, uh, brief introductions. Mr. Wade Rocket. Hello. And, uh, Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Wade Rocket. Um, I am the community relations guy for Pilgrim Press and uh, 13th Age. Um, I am usually tweeting from 13th Age, uh, except in the early, early hours of the morning when uh, Simon Rogers usually is. And sometimes I'm surprised to wake up and find out what he's revealed. <laughs> about the game. Um, also, I, uh, I am a pretty steady fixture on the 13th Age forum on something awful, um, and I've been running 13th Age since the uh, since the second wave of playtesting, I think. And I have a an ongoing campaign that I try to play about once a month called uh, Black March, uh, which you can find on Obsidian Portal. Black March. Black March. Ah. Ruth rhymes with Cthulhu check. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ruth. Um, I'm by training an archivist, and I've been let's see, I've been playing games for a decade or more. And then I started running, actually started running Pelgrane games with Trail of Cthulhu. Well, Trail of Cthulhu was one of my earliest ones because I really appreciated the, the way in which the system brings together uh, what I think is a much more positive GMing attitude across the publications. And so I've run some, uh, I'm working on some variations of ways to work the weird into 13th Age. I've been working with some Clark Ashton Smith stuff recently because I do a Clark Ashton Smith podcast. And uh, it's, it's interesting making your own characters and then figuring out how that affects the icon relationships. Um, and of course, uh, Ken Height is working on a whole world for that, and I'm kind of working on my own little alternate version of that world. And is he calling it... He's, is he calling... What is his name? Do you remember? I think it's Sword of Mythos, but yeah, I might be I wrong. You're right. No, you're right. You're totally right. And... Um, the other thing is that Simon is occasionally talking about... One thing we can talk about later is I'd like to ask a question about uh, gumshoe techniques used in 13th Age, mm-hmm. uh, since Simon is definitely headed that direction if possible, and that would be good to have on yeah. That's an exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> headed Mike, in that direction. I'm uh, Mike Shea. I run the website slyflourish.com. Uh, I actually met Rob when you were just getting started with 4E. Right. And uh, I went up to you. I don't know if you remember this, but I went up to you at Where we had a buffet. Oh, and I, you know, it was just at the announcement. It was actually before the announcement, but people kind of knew you were working on something. Oh, yeah, that's and right. I, and I went up and I said, uh, "Hey, are, you know, I love D and D miniatures. I love the system, but I don't like actually competing. But I want to use that for an RPG." And you're like, so you, you like that? And like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, come around tomorrow, right? Uh, and then I said, I said, well, in this thing, you're not going to make us confirm crits, are you? And he said, do you like confirming crits? And I'm like, no. He goes, well, then we're not going to do it, are we? And I, you know, and I, I hugged my books to my chest and, and scuttled off. Oh, that's right. right? Oh, that's yeah, totally so right. that was many years it's ago. It's kind of funny. You, it, was almost like, it was almost like a children's story. Oh, and you did. You, you asked said, all you the did, right you questions. Actually, right? one nice thing you said is, because I think I came back, I managed to get past my fear and came back the next day and talked to you again. And you put my name down and said, oh, well, we'll make sure you're on the playtest list. And then I wasn't on the playtest. But I was in the credits as having playtested it. So that was That's nice. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so no, then, no, no, that isn't weird. It, I remember putting you on the playtest list. <laughs> right, yes. So you're blaming someone else. So I talked with you enough about it that I was like, okay, all right, good. Um, yeah, so then, um, um, just to No, to, I mean, afterwards, the... I remember putting you on. Oh, like, really? Yeah, you're like, you're not, no, yeah, you're you're, you're at least getting the credit. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. So the, um, uh, and then, uh, so then four years go by, and uh, there was just the fresh announcement of the D&D Next playtest, yeah. and you sent me an email that same week oh, saying, hey, 
I know that you're probably thinking about other. Well, that things, was really funny because I. But like, I've got this game, and I, I you know, I'd, I'd love to, to talk to you more. I, I, and I'm like, hey, that sounds really cool, but you know, I've got this other thing. That's right. So that's funny. Yeah. And then the Kickstarter for Thirteen True Ways came out, and I was like, what is this? Yeah. And I signed up for 13 True Ways just so I could get 13th Age and fell in love with it and wish I had answered the email differently. <laughs> but I had the advantage of everyone else playtesting it for a long time before I ever got real exposure to it. I, I have that. 13th Age has been a funny experience in terms of there were people who I offered jobs on it who, who said no, you know, because no, I don't want to be involved in other whatever. And like years later, they come back. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I kind of wish cool. I had figured yeah, it out. Yeah, you know, something yeah. like that. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. So in your yeah. case, it was hilarious timing because as I I I was typing the email to you saying, mm. "Hey," and, and several other people going, I'm going "You know, Jonathan and I did this new game, and I know you're going to enjoy playtesting it." And there was an announcement about D and D next. That it said. Oh, and Mike's really going to be involved in that. This was bad timing. <laughs> so, anyway. so the good news is your release cycle was a little shorter than others, and uh, the yeah. So for the last, I don't know. Like, wow, how often do I get to hear that? So Thank for the you. last year, I've absolutely been in love with Thirteenth Age, and it has been my main, uh, my main uh, system of choice for my weekly game for the past year. I, I just love. Running. Good. And it's been fun to read your, and since you've been writing GM books and stuff like that, it's been fun to read your comments too. So um, uh, I would like to start off with a little discussion of, I mean, the weird thing is about, okay, first question for the audience in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have trouble handling one unique things? Or is it pretty, it's clear enough that it's just like a fun element? I mean, it's trouble, just the players don't seem to get it sometimes. The players don't seem to get it. So go ahead, and please. Well, it's like, you know, I, I start the table... I said, okay, we're going to try this new game, 13 days, we're not going to do next thing more because we don't like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we said, we do, do, I couldn't get anybody to do fourth, and everybody liked third. I said, well, this is kind of in between. Yeah. 13 days, we'll, we'll try this. So they, some guys came up with some interesting things, and one guy just said, like, he's from the Outer Plains. I'm like, well, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, we're not even playing any plane, anything. It's, it was just kind of a, it's hard to, Okay. I, I, I have an answer, but I'll over to Wade. Well, I have a follow-up question, yeah. which is um, that do you find that one unique things, like, well, this should be a raise hands question, I guess, but um, how many of you actively use one unique things in the course of your campaign, whether it is, like, the basis of the campaign or it just, like, comes up fairly often? Oh, okay, okay cool. All right. <laughs> and, and does that come from how many of it how many of it comes from you or the players? Players, both, yeah. Okay. One of the things I noticed about when you need things, same problem he has, the players don't seem to grasp it. And um, I took my first cues from Rob on the, uh, uh, the podcast you did with the, the radio guys. Yeah. And where you have to sit there and draw it out and be like, maybe, you know, you're not from the outer planes, but maybe your parents were these, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, what if you're the only so guy from the Outer Plains in this world? Let's, like, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's work on this. There's actually... Yeah. Wait, okay, there's a problem. Like, you called me a moderator? Well, uh, <laughs> you guys need to shut me up, all right? Because I mean, I've got about three different answers. To what that I can really? Think. That's unusual. Yeah. Well, I have one. <laughs> Good. You should go first. So one of the uh, things that I did was I ran a really interesting um, group of players where one of the people said, all right... I think it would be really cool if my half-orc's background, she'd been a nanny. And I was like, actually, let's talk. Nanny at the Imperial Court, nanny for the half-orc ambassador. We started coming up with the skills, you know, intimidation, sneak, listen, <laughs> um, intimidation again, <laughs> you know. And then she started drawing on her other backgrounds. I'm like, okay, you know, your one unique thing could be you are the first nanny ever to get inducted, because she'd also got a background of assassin, into the Assassin's Guild. <laughs> Like, that just doesn't happen. And so we tried to draw out, like, what that progression then meant to her character. It's, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I take care of lots of different children. Yeah. <laughs> she took care of them. Do you, do you want me to take care of the children? Or take care of the really children? really crucial distinction. Like, like Paul Fisher, right? take care of? Right. No, no, no. No, no. Take her out? No. Okay, so. so in that case, combining backgrounds and trying yeah. to see it as an arc, we led to the, it was a one unique thing that she would be, like people you know, knew her as the nanny assassin. and that, She had this reputation. Really nanny assassin. Really 
Hey, we got two representative Woo! players. Um, and how we handled that in the game that I'm playing in is it, it's fairy tale themed. So for everyone, your one unique thing is something fairy tale related. So it was rather than being completely open ended, anything you know on the planet, we have you know we have one player whose one unique thing is their parents were evil. They invited all of the evil fairies. They did not invite the good fairies. It's the reverse sleeping beauty. Nice. She got cursed by the good fairy. Nice. <laughs> um, so she has all these like minor evil things that the evil fairies gave her, except that it's really that she's you know very divine and blessed. Um, yeah, so we did a lot of inversions on that, and I think especially as a first-time player, having a theme to run with it's was very very helpful. Interesting. Um, can I ask a follow-up question? Um, so a question I have is... Uh, by the way, in, in Magic the Gathering terms, like Wizards of the Coast, I'm still on the stack. I'm, I'm coming later to answer your question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm all right. Interrupt, interrupt. Interrupt. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, how, many, how many people find that the one unique things evolve over the course of the campaign? So we had we had some where I think our, our unique things were changing up until like even the history of it had changed up until the later parts. Like there's lots of gaps and holes, and then those start to get filled in more and more as the campaign rolls on. That worked really well. Uh, they're interrupting your stack. Uh, yeah, they're interrupting. Yeah, the main uh, the main issue I've usually seen in a couple of games I've been in is usually when people kind of mistake it for. It kind of, there's kind of a blurring line between background and one unique things. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people will put together things that's, that's really just kind of more your background, but it doesn't necessarily make you unique. Okay, so that's a good, yeah. so that's a follow-up question. Since that happens yeah. all the time, mm -hmm. um, if I really care at that moment, mm -hmm. I will say that thing. Yeah. I will say, actually, this is great. This is totally who you are. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Now, the question I have to ask you about it is, what about that makes you unique? Yeah. You know, is there some other piece of it that is, like, the thing that is really different? Mm -hmm. And because the, and the person kind of, the, actually, with the player usually goes, oh, yeah, well, there could be something else. You know, in a certain sense, game, gamers have been trained by other games and our long cultural experience to not be able to... You know, don't ask for too much of the cookie jar because your hand will get slapped, you know? And it's like, wait, I could ask for more? And your answer is, yeah, yeah sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And so being able to, to ramp that up is what some... Now, there are... Okay, so it's coming, now I can segue back to the question. The first simplest really bizarre answer is that there are some people who don't want to have a one unique thing. Um, and the example that it was a, a woman who was playing who said, I'm the only elf in the world with human ears. It's like... And I was like, okay, I realize what you mean is that you don't want us to pay attention to your one unique... You know, you don't want to be on center stage. You're, you're really happy with everybody else. Everybody else is going, skyrockets, right? And you're like, I'm right here. And now, in a convention game, that's 100% okay, because that's, like, that's what the player wanted. That's good. Now, when you talk about the growth of the one unique thing, in the long scope of a campaign... Assuming the player could handle it, that person, that elf who is the only one who has human ears, we're going to find out yeah. what's unique. That's a target. <laughs> you know, it's like... That's a big target. It's right a big there. target. It's going to grow and develop. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But there's always the fact that when players start out, it's perfect. it is a perfectly okay to let them just... It's okay, um, John, it's okay to let them have their one unique thing, even if it doesn't sound unique enough to you. You just have the memo in your head, we're going to make something of this... And, and the great part is you don't even telegraph it because don't telegraph it and say, oh, that's awesome, that's great, thank you, we'll, you know, you work that. And inside it's like, and here come all the plots that are going to pry you open. <laughs> you know, and so, and we're going to find out what's really going on. So that'll work. Another one about the, the Outer Plains example is, as you said, your game wasn't about the Outer Plains, you know, and then you didn't intend it to be. And I think that the line there is that you could say, in that point, it's, it does become a, a slight negotiation discussion where you say, okay, you know, I think that's right. 
but I'm not quite using, I'll just let you know that I'm not bringing in the outer planes from any other world precisely right now, except that with you telling me this, well, the thing is, they're telling you what they want. Yeah. So you, then your mission is to find a way to make it true. You know, like, 13th Age has flying realms. So, you know, well, what do you know? One of those flying realms is a link to the outer, you know, is a link to somewhere else, and that's where this guy came from or something. Did you did something like that probably? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, basically, the background of my world was where it was Demon War, like, years back. Yeah. And each character is supposed to pick a hero to follow. Yeah. And so his healer, hero was a wizard, so basically I made the, the wizard uh, the focus of he accidentally opened the gate. Yeah. He's the one that caused the war. He's the one okay. That... okay, you did it. So you're asking a question, you answered it well. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. right. So Your answer is better. Basically, the, the wizard was delving into opening gates. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah. Oh, good. And that'll never happen again. Awesome. Yeah, good job. Um, can I ask a quick question about themes? Like, the, the thing you said about using themed campaigns that way and setting it up. Um, I, in a certain sense, have not... I really haven't done that. Every time I've run, I've always been incredibly open-ended. You know, my campaigns are always run. So who has who has done a camp themed campaigns that way? That I, I played in them. Play? Yeah. My brother actually runs 13th Age like a, like a TV show. Every single adventure is an episode. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. sit down and say, okay, we want to do a court drama today. Okay, we want to do a heist today. We want to do this. And that works really well for establishing what they want to do out of every adventure yeah. and how to frame the action. But it's, it's a lot of, a lot of improv. There's really no adventure set out. It's just kind of like, what do we want to do today? And then on the spot, coming up with things that fit within the game mechanics. Yeah, it's been the grand thing. Every six months, they sit down and say, okay, what's the seasonal arc we want? What is what? Nice. Mm -hmm. There's, okay. so this isn't exactly a themed campaign, but it is something that kind of came to mind because it's almost the opposite problem, maybe, that you had, which is that... Um, when I sat down with my players um, for the Black Market campaign, I told them in very broad strokes, here's what I want this to be. This is going to be kind of a frontier campaign. It, uh, here are my inspirations. Um, 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 oh, God, the, uh, the Coen versions, uh, the Coen Brothers version of True Grit, uh, Sleepy <laughs> Hollow. It's going to be kind of dark. There's going to be demons. There's going to be orcs just over the river constantly threatening civilization and you are sort of on the thin line between the Diabolist and the Orc Lord and the Empire. And from and from there I kind of left it up to them and, and their backgrounds and one unique things totally fleshed that out. There was one player who had a one unique thing is that he was destined to unite the Orc Lord and the Emperor. And like one of my one of my like things is like the Orc Lord is evil. Like, that is one of my baselines. I'm not going to budge on that. And he kind of left it up to me. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do with my one unique thing, buddy? Because <laughs> I'm destined to unite the Orc Lord and the Emperor. And I've been, and fortunate, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how much you like a challenge, he switched characters. So that's no longer in play right now. Um, although he is an NPC. Oh, destined to... But I pictured the Orc Lord on the throne of Axis with the Emperor hanging from a cage. You know, <laughs> so it was like, they're united! Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're the same like, like, I was really focused on, what does unite mean? But... I believe that Mephistopheles would have an answer for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mephistopheles' answer is that the Orc Lord and the Emperor are united in wanting this character dead. Yes. <laughs> so. Oh, Maybe I can get him to start playing that. Character. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? The... Your life's going to be so much easier all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, Everything's going your way. <laughs> I find yes. with the one unique thing, some people go in with a very grand idea of exactly what they want their character, who they want their character to be. Other people go in with what they want their character to be. Mm. I want to be a rogue. I want to be a cleric. I want to be a ranger. And so we find that a lot of new players come in with the what I want to be rather than the who I want to be. And um, so, you know, we sat down recently with a, player, uh, with a player that really wanted to be a rogue. And so they, we then build, like, down to up. So we start with backgrounds and icon relationships and one unique thing. So they really wanted to be a rogue. It's like, okay, what type of rogue? And, okay, you really specifically want to be a good team. And then we kept building it. And then, you know, Prince of Shadows fit in and they loved it. And, you know, it's just... 
And then they decided, no, they, they really wanted complicated because their one unique thing was they were the only rogue to break into the prince's vault. <laughs> and they didn't take anything, which is why they're still alive, but they were the only person to do that. So it's that's kind of how we see our games going and how mm. we differentiate. Like We've talked a lot about defining the characters. You build bottom to top, background icon, unique, or you build top to bottom. Well, yeah. There's usually a different way of how characters how players get into that character. I, I, I can't resist this. <clears throat> they didn't take anything with them that they're aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Something might have hitched a ride. <laughs> I've noticed with uh, one unique thing is that if you get something that's lackluster that doesn't seem to tell you too much about it, one way you can take it is you can ask the, kick, the player to flesh it out. The other thing you can do is what would it mean if that vague generic thing is truly unique? Yeah. Hmm. You know, like, so one, one of my players is just, I'm from another age. So, okay, time travel is not a thing people can do. There's only one person who has ever done that and did it by accident. Uh, and, you know, you can even, yeah. someone could have a one unique thing that's entirely pedestrian, but then the game world has to be one where nobody else does that pedestrian thing. Did, um, gosh, this feels so, like, egotistical, but, um, and it may be a segue into another segment here, but, um, egotistical had, segue. The egotistical segue. Let's talk about me for a while. Uh, have you guys read my um, my article on the Pelgrane Press blog about whether I can do everything is a suitable background? Yes. And how it's like, oh, really? Yeah, you can do it. Why can you do everything? And that might make you very interesting to people. And, you know, again, this is my, my Rob Hainso lesson of just like, okay, if you want some rope, I'll give you rope. <laughs> but um, so that's a case, that's yet another case where it's like backgrounds could really inform a one unique thing. On backgrounds, mm -hmm. starting, you're right, starting segue. The one thing that I always have to ask players who are new, it's like I have to say, the question I'm really asking is, who have you been? Mm. It's not a what have you done precisely. It's a, you know, in your life, you've, you've been different people, you've done different things, talk about that. You've probably had little careers, and those are the mm -hmm. words that bring it out. Yeah. Um, instead of, because otherwise, yeah, and that, that, that's, that, that works for me. I'm curious, if, you know, I think there's other things that could be said, and clearly they're not quite being said clearly enough in the book always, so I will be open to other suggestions in a way. Um, do you have other... I think it has a lot to do with whether or not the characters are genre aware and how much ah. they've played. Mm -hmm. Because uh, some people, somebody asked me to pitch him on 13th Age in 30, well, in the 30 seconds that we were walking parallel to separate bathrooms. And so I said, instead of skill checks, your character's background is what does the work for them. You know, yeah. you're a nanny in the Imperial Court, okay, great. You can be, um, you can be aggressive, you can talk people down, and, and you can listen at keyholes and get really good sound because you can hear a baby cry from like two rooms <laughs> away. So you have excellent hearing. So... I'm what sold. about Yeah, what about that makes it like what about your character's background makes you awesome at doing certain kinds of things? And for I think for some people like I, I ran I got to introduce my first ever GM, which was back in three um, to it just a few weeks ago, actually. And for for him it was just like duck into water. He he had all these awesome character arc ideas and he ended up playing a little Che Guevara from the sticks who who actually knew that the, the archmage was evil. Okay. <laughs> so, like, he just went right into it. But with other people, you definitely have to, like, sit there and right. work a lot harder at it. Yeah. I, have a, I have a question that's kind of going back a little bit to something sure. on, on the limitation of, of games. How many, how many people kind of limit the scope of their games and particularly limit the scope of the icons? Does anybody do that? The scope. Like, so, yeah. limited scope, I'm sorry, the num like, literally the number of icons. Like, oh. for this small session, we're going to have these six icons, mm -hmm. and you can choose your... I've got your really icons and just playing heroes instead. What's that? i got really icons and using mm -hmm. my heroes instead, the heroes of the Great War or the Demon sure. War. Sure. So there's, like, you know, each player had a hero that they were emulating, and that, instead of having icons that they were using. Mm -hmm. I ended up converting to my own homebrew world that I've been running for kind of 10 years or so. So I went through and created icons, and a lot of the icons were previous players mm -hmm. in my game. So like my Archmage was my wife's 
wizard, Sarah, who became the art mage at the end of the last campaign. So, yeah. Did you have about as many? Um, I ended up, the way I did it, I, I wanted at least nine for the nine uh, alignments. alignments. Mm -hmm. And then I ha added uh, a few others on it. Mackie thing just in terms of scope, uh, since nobody bothered to, you know, have anything to do with the emperor whatsoever, mm -hmm. it just kind of faded away naturally. Yeah. So, right. yeah. I think front row head. Yeah. yeah, I mean, typically when I do it, I have like what icons the antagonists are about, what the mm -hmm. PCs are about, all the rest kind of fade into the background because yeah. I don't know so much time. So I guess I have two notes on this. One is that Jonathan. Oh, okay. Ready to get? Okay. No, you. Okay. Jonathan's new campaign has seven icons, and it's rather dirty pool of me to spill the beans on it. But he didn't come to Gen Con. He really should have. So um, <laughs> we're uh, we're we're going to write it up and share it at some point. Um, and uh, but what he did is he combined the existing icons into figures that have pieces of two. So, he, you know, his new icon is both the Archmage and the Priestess. Mm -hmm. And then the other combinations rolled from there. And it's actually really good. And what it means is that he can use all of our mechanics that refer to any of them. And he can, like, use all the stuff in the book. He just happens to have one person instead of two. Because he wanted, he wanted that focus. Mm -hmm. He decided, no, I don't want to run the next campaign with that. So, anyway, so it, it's a nice experiment. It's yeah, the... The, the campaigns that I've been running over the past year or so have kind of followed the episodic model of, you know, sort of have a general range of how long we expect it to go. And one of the ways I wanted the Dragon Empire to continue to be something that would be fun for our group to go back to was to take just a tiny little area and say, we're going to focus our entire area on that, and only this six icons are going to be involved. Only six icons are going to be involved. Which six? And then the players get together and say, how about, do we like the Dwarf Lord? We like the Dwarf Lord. We'll have the Dwarf Lord as one of them. Okay. And that way, everything got bounded, and yeah. that you know it, it, it ended up making for a lot of fun. And then we can toss that aside when we're finished and pick a whole new area with all new kinds, and it feels like a whole new game. That's good. Mm -hmm. I know you have next, and then all right. Um, I was gonna say is that there was a campaign, a short campaign I ran for a little bit that um, it was set. It was actually set in a school where the players were students of the school, and I really wanted to bring the scope down a lot. So instead of doing icons as, you know, the Archmage or the Orc Lord, the, the icons were, like, teachers and other important people at the school. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I love that so, so much. Like, and what I would do is, instead of having them just pick them, I had them start off with none, and then when they did things, they would basically get the icon points yeah. as rewards. That's a good idea. And then so they can roll them at the beginning of each session, and that's, like, controlling, like, who's going to help them out and what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. That's... that's that's good. Now, was this a situation in which, while they were students, their the their icons are the teachers, but then they're going to graduate and then it was just, it was only a, it was it, a I only, it only went a little bit. It was just yeah. it wasn't set in the Dragon Empire. Or anything. Sure, it was just it was right. Kind of a pain but I kind of like the idea that the campaign. Okay, one idea is the campaign that has different icons at different tiers, because the truth is you're moving in different circles. Mm -hmm. As you go up, things change. You know that hammers at home really really hard. So that, that's cool. Wow. Um, I, like two things occurred to me. One is that I want the Orc Lord to be a PE teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly the Crusader. Maybe the Orc yeah. Lord. The, oh, yeah. Yeah. Crusader. Crusader. yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, other is a uh, uh, 13th Age one-shot set in Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I did <laughs> yes. recently to bring down the scope was um, I was planning a particular adventure set, a uh, very bounded adventure set in the Underhome. So the old Dwarven home, which... So if you ever get people discussing the politics of whether or not the drow can live there because they've actually lived there for the last however many years and the dwarves have, like, that was a whole very interesting discussion I did not anticipate at the table. But what, one thing I said was, okay, after I did icons and everything, and how are you invested in the future of the dwarven empire? 
how are like how are you invested? Are you invested against it for it? And what about you as a character or perhaps the, your icon? So one guy was a a cleric and he was uh, very closely associated with the priestess and he had two or three points on her and he said I need the Dwarven Empire to continue because I'm going to bring them all to the light <laughs> and I was like alright and so that was his, his thing throughout the game was he was yeah. even though his icon relationship was with the priestess he was bringing the light of the priestess to the dwarves that's good so I tried to make the, that make it relatable so actually I don't think anybody had the dwarf mm-hmm. lord and yeah that's it still really made it work in that setting right they were synergistically helping that that's cool i have uh, like scenes that are you know sort of arcs that are focused on a very limited set of icons that may not line up with the characters icons in fact the the other influence of icons that aren't involved in this particular conflict there's a diplomatic conflict between dragon ball and the hydra uh but other icons come into this if the players bring them into so the, the scope is these two icons that I, as the GM, think are interesting, and the ones mm-hmm. the players thought were interesting when they picked relationships with them from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I, I... Because you don't want to, yeah, ignore the other ones. The world is still going on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I told my players that uh, I intended for the, um, the Orc Lord and the Diabolus to be kind of the big bad of the... Uh, of the uh, campaign just because of the geography of where it was set, but I was totally open to them bringing in whichever other icons they wanted, and then I would use that to flesh out the world, and then specifically, what's going on with those other icons that's so important out here on the frontier, um, which I thought was an interesting challenge for me. We had that in our organized play games when we ran Carnival Lich King. No one at the table for all six weeks had a Lich King relationship. When we ran Wildwood, no one had a Hydruic relationship, and it still flowed wonderfully. We were still, even though they didn't have it directly, we were able to tie in how the icons fit together to still make it work really well. Because every every icon should care what every other icon is doing. Yeah. I'm experimenting with, like, when you have these interactions with icons where you're follow- clearly following an icon-related plot, but it's not really the character's icons, giving as a reward for that class a six without icon. Just the party gets a six that they can use later. Whether they have a relationship with them or not? Whether they have a relationship with them or not. Ah, it's just one great service for the high druid. That the high druid's power, or whether that winds up being their organization or their magical influence or whatever, sometimes when they need to get out of the jam, they have a, they have a, the the, uh, high druid has their back once. That's neat. So, weirdly enough, and on that note, (laughs) I'll see you guys. Um, I'm having to think a lot about icon relationships because the next project we're doing is 13th Age in Golantha, and that's what Jonathan and I are working on. So, along with Ash. So, now the one thing I can say about that is that if you look at Golantha and you think about how icons work in 13th Age Dragon Empire, the categories don't match. It's like you don't want to think about heroic, ambiguous, villainous when you're talking about Glorantha gods or Glorantha realms. Nor do you want to think about and, that the, and for those of you who don't know Glorantha, just to say that that's, it's just not the right mythological relationship. And it's also not right to have, I'm conflicted about my, my relationship with Orland. Well, not really. I mean, it's like this doesn't really. I mean, it's, so. And, and, and there, it's I mean, it's been like a long time since I've looked at Glorantha, but it's law and chaos, right? No. It's not? There's oh. chaos. I'm, I'm thinking back to when yeah, I'm 14. No, chaos, you know? that, like, chaos is a big problem. Yes. But the other gods also all have their own agendas. Oh. And they're all the good guys in their own stories. And, you know, and that's, there is no, the, the morality is very different, except for chaos. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing is, it's like we're actually doing pretty new, we're, we're using, we're producing some pretty new tech for this. The thing you just mentioned about can you do something that gives you a a benefit? Yes. Later on, it's it's a it's a, not all the relationships in this are just chosen by players. They're earned. It's like it's a it's a, it's an earning thing. And there's a big thing where I guess the weird part about it is it's like I guess I can. I have to figure out if I want to play test something by revealing it here. <laughs> and I'm talking about it, so I guess I do. Um, so, 
one of the tech pieces that I think we're probably going to be experimenting with, and you could certainly experiment with in Thirteenth Age, is like fives are uh, potential rewards, but they create obligations. Mm. It's not just that something weird is about to happen, that, oh, it's also got a bad side. It's that you have to do something first. There is a, you know, you must do this first, and then, hey, happiness, joy. And if you don't do it, if, like, you ignore the five, consequences, which is problems. So, you know, that, I'll just say, that's how we're currently doing Glorantha. And, it's a, and we're testing it out, and in a way, it, you know, I know it could work in 13th age as well. Mm -hmm. I just don't happen to be running normal 13th age right this moment, and you guys are. So, um, I, you know, I'll be curious to know how that works, but I also, I'm experimenting with pieces of that. Now, this is partially an answer to, like, what do you do with fives? And, and, but Glorantha has got some different, you know, it's so different in terms of how many dice I'm having, you know, people roll and things like that, and what are often. And I, I think that ties into the icon relationship portion of this conversation, which we could now open, especially since we're about almost two-thirds of the way through. Um, yeah, it's uh, 3.40. Okay, great. So, um, Mike, as a representative of all things questioning about icons relationship dice, why don't you phrase a couple questions? Or we can ask the audience too. Sure. Well, I'll ask the questions. Yeah. Um, how do you? So, I'll, I'll I'll start with a situation that I, I I made the mistake with my players of making them feel like fives and sixes were something that were a resource that they got, and if I didn't do something with it, they lost the resource. So they would roll. They got sixes. And particularly, this is that limiting the icons was actually one of the reasons. One of the reasons I limited the icons was to limit those sixes because there are many times where I didn't know how the hell I was going to how I was going to fit an icon in. I also run abbreviated games, so I run about a two-hour game. Right? A two-hour game makes it hard. Yeah. Um, yep. So what do you do when you've created a situation, or how do you handle it when players feel like sixes are things they deserve, and they're, they're a resource like fate points, they're a resource like you know action points in 4e? actually treat them exactly like big points and action points. So if you get, you know, you have a six with an elf queen, it, the player should feel totally empowered to say, I have the six with the elf queen, maybe this helps me in this way, and they should be able to use that to... Well, I think... And it's funny you bring that up, because that's exactly what I did, is I now right. hand out tokens. I actually think I stole that idea from you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when my own advice is given back to me. That's I have this question. <laughs> Can anyone repeat the brilliant thing I've said and done earlier? Oh, thank you. If only there was a website. Idea. We can read about these great times. I have an answer, but I'll put it on the stack. But I'd love to hear other ideas. I was going to say that what I found is like a quick and dirty, like if you just straight up forget someone's six, and you're at the end of the session, they're like, wait, I had that six. Like what I've done before is, is like, you can just use the six, like, okay, it didn't come up in the session, it's just going to be like, carry over to the next, or just like a little windfall treasure, where it's like, hey, like your relationship means you got, you know, you know, pick a magic item that's related to your icon or something that you think would be cool to have. Yeah, have I've, I've felt like I go into debt. Right, I, I feel like it, when I started holding, because I think that was a piece of advice I heard was you don't have to use it right now. Hang on to it. Except they're rolling more dice next week. Yeah, and they're rolling mm -hmm. more dice, and now I got thirteen sixes. So I'm gonna, you know? I'm gonna first thing lump them thirteen. Lump yeah. them. I mean, it's like if you get mm -hmm. multiple six results with the same icon, go ahead and uh, lump them together. Uh, make it sound a little bit bigger, <laughs> even if it isn't. But go ahead and lump them together. Second thing is another way you to do it that I'm starting to do. I'm a threshold. It's like, you're not playing just one session. You're playing campaign. Over the course of the campaign, keep track of the number of icon relationship results that either really mattered or that weren't used. You may not even tell the player characters that you're doing this, mm -hmm. except that the first time that you go ahead and implement it, like what you'll do is at the start of a session or in the middle of a session or where it's like, you see, is what you need to do is you need to say, 
when there are five positive Archmage things, I've got an idea of something giant that's going to happen in a campaign. And then, and you make those story, and you just keep that in your head as sort of like a, a marker, you know. And, uh, and, and then what happens is that the first time it happens, you tell somebody, well, you know, the Archmage has been, you guys, there's been a lot of intention, and boom, this happens. And it's a giant good thing, probably, but it's a story-related thing. And then you, I don't know, I, I'm saying that that's a trick that I'm using, mm -hmm. because it's some animal. So I, and I'm actually telling my player characters what happens. I'm going ahead and saying, well, actually, yeah, you had a, you know, you had, you had a high druid result left, but actually that's not so bad, because we're just going to go ahead and, you know, you know, put that right over here, and, and it's building. Mm -hmm. And so, now, I don't know if that works for all groups, it works for campaigns where you think of possible storylines and you don't know if you're going to implement or not. You're still going to be surprised like by what eventually happens. Um, it's, it, I have a clearer idea of what I do with it in Glorantha. <laughs> you know? So I'm not necessarily, I can't quite say how that applies to 13th age yet. I've, so. I've kind of done that on a smaller scale. I'm sort of building vignettes that can kind of be dropped in anywhere uh, that deal with each of the icons that the icon relationships with the players. So I had this idea for a divination, uh, a scene with a fortune teller that was Prince of Shadows theme. And it was uh, basically a game of three card Monty where three people want to know something. And if you get your own card, you get to find out what you want to know. Otherwise, you've got a big deal. Uh, and so that got dropped in because one of my players rolled a six with, I think it was a five actually, with their Prince of Shadows. And they got this. They got to play this divination game where they actually play three card money. Uh, and it's just a way to, without taking too much time out, you can do something cool. It doesn't necessarily have to be something earth shaking, but just it makes them feel like that something special happened. That's yeah, a really important thing. I love that they actually had to play three card Monty oh, yeah. in the process. Yeah, this is fun to throw in a new mechanic. This actually reminds me of uh, yesterday's inventor design panel, and it occurs to me that you could write up a bunch of set pieces and say, okay, divination scene. And then if you have icon relationship results hanging out there, it's like, okay, maybe this is, you know, you could adapt that to whoever the icon is. Like, okay, what would an archmage divination scene look like? What would a priestess divination scene look like? And just play it, and you just have those things kind of in your, in your toolkit. That'd but, be interesting. My, yeah. That is how I write intros for one-shot things, is mm -hmm. you s just have a couple, of, a couple of setups, because somebody's going to have one of, you know, say, three or four icons, especially the ones that seem to be more popular. I suppose you could end up with somebody not getting one of those, but mm -hmm. you, know, you write a couple of intros, and then where it goes from that, you kind of suck. But the, for the starter point, and for maybe a couple of moments that you kind of, that you're going out and then back in towards a moment. You plan it around a couple of things and go at it. That's, that's how I've been doing mine. I had, a, I had a lot of luck kind of doing what you were doing. I had a battle of four fronts mm -hmm. that were based on four of the icons and fives and sixes determined which front was getting mm -hmm. progress mm -hmm. over the other until eventually they watched the three eat the entire all of the other three opponents and when they came out there's three huge dragons saying we won and now it's, you know yeah. now you gotta do with us yeah, and, nice. and it worked oh, it, so that's it worked. how that happened yeah right so I had no idea, I had no idea that the dragons were gonna be their problem and it okay. wasn't until about two or three sessions before the end that, that you were becoming clear they, they left to go deal with demons and they came back and the dragons had won you know and right. now they had they had you know, and that's why the green is now released so you have to go fix your books so in a certain, uh, oh, oh, trapped again. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, the and that's when what you're indicating there is it's not just unused fives and sixes that are worth tracking. It's the yeah, one. It's, it's yeah. the results. Yeah. And it's happening. It's happening off screen. And it's happening kind of. Off well, was, they, they, so I, I kind of had this like museum style montage that they would okay. constantly view. So. Their final goal was always in view, but they couldn't quite get out to it. But they were watching everybody fighting for it all the time. And the roles of that day would show you which group was making progress, until eventually one group made so much progress, they just watched them. You know, the dragons finally managed to wipe everybody out. But they, they, it was clear to them that the roles that they were making and the progress of the battle were tied together. But meanwhile, they were off on their own adventures. My, my struggle with icon relationships, I mean, I, I'm... I'm just experimenting with a lot of different things. Um, I am happy using icon relationships to guide adventures and create subplots and everything, and that's great. I don't get to them all, 
and that's fine. My players don't really mind. They're very laissez-faire with the icon relationships. They sort of trust me, but I'm trying to get them more involved in in intentional plot building and world building, and I'm experimenting with like tokens, or I'll say, you know, hey, you're six with the elf queen. I have an idea for what to do with that. Well, but but this five with the high druid is is up for grabs. It would be great if you know. Just remember you have that at a critical point, and, and please use it. And it's just not active in play at the table. It's definitely active in my head, but I'm I'm really not sure how to make it a, a thing. Or even if I need to, maybe my players aren't just into that. At one point, I mean, I I when we first did the 30 page postcards, I was hoping that we'd have the postcards available for all the icons so people because I use I tend to use them as if a player has if a player has a six hanging out waiting to be used, I I hand them the postcard of the icon. Like here, you know, just this is a reminder that if something's really going weird for you, and you want to suggest that maybe, you know, you could find a way that the icon could help you out, and you might have a suggestion for that, show me the card and, t- and, and, and ask, and that puts it out of my. And this is exactly what you two are talking. It puts it partly out of my hands after a certain point. But at the same time, the nice visual aid is. I can look and see that the Archmage yeah. thing is there mm-hmm. instead of looking at a piece of paper. Um, now, quite honestly, I don't always have all the postcards. So my system, you know, uh, I don't necessarily have it. So Rob, it there. product idea. Maybe, you know, like how uh, yeah. Savage Worlds has the, the mm-hmm. deck for initiative, have a deck of, you know, icon cards. Oh, that'd be great. You know, fives and sixes. Have six yeah. of every icon, for example, five with fives and sixes. There's, you know. there's possibilities there. Yeah. Because like, thought we're gonna make it ourselves. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the red yeah. yeah, I use campaign coins. So the campaign yeah. coins has gold and silver ones. I use the gold for sixes and the silver for fives. Get some of those. They're nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, so we just recently put up um, sticker token or sticker templates yeah. for mm-hmm. the icons and everything. I, I had custom poker chips made with thirteen. Oh, that's yeah. great. So put the stickers on the maybe. Backside. Maybe you should go market this. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is there's multiple people who want to oh. talk right now. And I'm gonna start in the back and move forward. So gentlemen, right there. Uh, so something I read online was um, rolling the well. So a problem that, that a GM that I was playing with was having, and some GMs online is, is coming up with something that that session, like yeah. where they roll the dice, and so instead moving the dice roll to the end of the session so that they have something for next, basically so they have time to prep for next time. Is that something that you like? That is something I think it's in the book. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. It is. But it's in a you know tiny little. Yeah. I have. I have one. So I've I've used that before. But I have one particular problem that I don't believe is unique. Where the players, players don't show. The players don't show up. So you know. So I have like I have nine regulars and five that are at the table, and I don't so know. So with my group, whenever I do that, I basically have to do it in a way that I don't care whether or not the player shows up. I just have to say, well, they roll the icon relationship check. That's for the group. Yeah. Think of that as as a thing. That's Come up with a way to make it apply to the entire group so you don't care about the player as much. Mm-hmm. Also, if you were going to give that player a wonderful magical item benefit, give it to the <laughs> player at the table who irritates them the most and email them about it. They have it. to go get it. <laughs> yeah, nice. The rogue has your sword. <laughs> the rogue has your sword. <laughs> so sorry. So uh, that, that's actually a, a question I'll, I'll ask the group and ask you. Do you use, is there a good interrelationship between the icons and loot? Why we have this uh, book out now called the Book of Loot. Book of Loot that seems to be organized by icons, which directly uh, ties magic items to icons. But yes, I I actually uh, love tying um, magic items to icons. Um, Like uh, the paladin just got a shotgun that um, is tied to where icon results for the emperor are actually. He is a softy. Every time he sends me some, Rob, take a look at this thing, and I'm like, and you put a pony on top. (laughs) (laughs) Well. My 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 player my players are convinced that I'm trying to kill them and they don't realize that I'm trying to make them be awesome and so I can do things like that and they're like oh thank God I had this magic shotgun because Wade's gonna Wade's gonna kill me next session and so it it, it works out great okay all right yeah you're right I'm not there to see the dynamic of fear yeah okay all right um I would like to handle the book of loot but I want to hit these two questions one here no our solution for you know, the icons and who has what. And this is what we do for every game, not 13 game specific, super low budget. Every single game we play has a pile of index cards on the table. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Every 
write down you know, what you had for your icon successes to remind the GM later. Also great for passing notes to your, <laughs> the people you're playing with if your character is going to whisper something. Keep one on me all the time. <laughs> um, that said, if you did make official icon one, you know, you, that would, it would be nice. That also. would definitely be something that. Okay. Okay. Great. Disposable? Oh, that Dis Disposable be... icons. Wow, people icons love that. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. What, what's your name, sir? <laughs> I want a forwarding address later. All right. Good. And? Uh, usually, uh, the problem I always have is I was running two to three hour blocks. Because yeah. I was running it kind of on a, on a very short kind of a evening schedule. And what I ended up doing was basically using it as like the plot silo that I'd have people, after the first couple of sessions, I was like, this isn't working. I can't keep up. And so i just have them roll it and try and empty out the plot silo of oh, all the right, icon right. chips. And then before you roll again. Because I know they'd yeah. want to roll again. They'd be excited to roll again. And that kind of pushes me to actually get that stuff out. And so, you, so you went into icon debt. Yeah. Well, no. yeah, I went into icon debt almost immediately. I mean, like you know, I'm ranking that was the three hours you're talking about, trying right? to keep, do the actual adventure along with that. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand the silo. What I'm what I'm seeing is a shoot that yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, I got these results. Oh, I used it. I used it. I used it. Now it's empty. I guess you can roll again. Yeah. Is is that, the only danger is yeah, making sure I don't get stuck on something or it has something. Hanging there, but yeah, um, but yeah, just like I uh, just trying to clear out, uh, do it like a lot of effectively it makes icon rolls like once every two or three sessions, as yeah, to every session. Okay, so you know, yeah, for not, a smaller block, about not to give block. too much away, but maybe, maybe on a rest, I might, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely the case that, uh, that the Glorantha project may end up with very different timing of these rolls, they mean something different, they are more impactful, you know, they have lots of stuff going on, they have more weight, and there might be really bad consequences too. So, you know, put it all together and it's like, probably it's less often. So, I don't know. I, I sort of have that, I'm thinking about that in my game as well. I think the one, the one biggest piece of icon advice, and it probably relates to almost every single thing in every RPG, is the universal make it the player's problem mm. is so... <laughs> freeing. And as yes. soon as I used, like, the campaign coin before, I don't know what I used before, poker chips or whatever, but as soon as I handed them tokens and I said, like, they're only good for this session, <laughs> so it's up to you to burn them, right? Like, I'm going to take them all back at the end, regardless. Of, and I could use that to make my life easier in other ways, like, I really don't want to pay attention to what kind of loot they want, because I just don't yeah. want to do any work at all. Yeah. So He is a very lazy. Yeah, shocker. Yeah. So, you know, now the, the idea that when you have a gold six... Yeah and you haven't picked up another item this level, you can tell me about this item and tell me how it's related to the icon. And the stories are fantastic. Like, the stories that they come back with about why the elf queen, you know, <laughs> had built this sword 1,500 years ago to battle the demons. You're like, shit, I better write this down, yeah, right? Like, they come up with stuff way better than I would ever come up with. Well, it's because they have to sell it to you. Well, you know, you're and they're not... one person. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I, I never say no. I actually, so this not, it wasn't 13th age, but another player was very similar to the 13th age uh, situation, where I said, you know, so what did you find in the loot? And she looked at me and she's like, a sword? And I said, you did! And she's like, wow! And, then, and I said, she, I said, what does it look like? And she says, it has a dragon on it? And I'm like, it does! And she's like, wow! And she goes, the best DM ever! Right. And I said, what color is it? She goes, Gold and I said yes, and she's like, "Wow! Like, what, what are the odds of that?" I'm like, "One and one." You know? <laughs> wow, so, that yeah. is that is like such a parenting moment. <laughs> well, she yeah, so she's a teacher, so she yeah, knows. Okay. Yeah, right. she figured it out. But um, you know, and it's like, I guess people get used to like you know having to fight for that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And when they realize, like, I can go ahead and make up the sword that I find in the loot. I mean, yeah. you know. Okay. Sting was meant for Frodo. Like, you know, there's not, it wasn't any odds that somebody else was going to pick up Sting. So, you know, in the same way that using the icon rolls and giving the player the agency, getting it off of your plate, to be able to figure that out helped me immensely in, in all of, in running all 13th Age. And really, that translates to a lot of other RPGs too. We just have a, a few minutes left. Uh, I saw a hand here, but have, I, have we missed anyone in the room? 
to say no? You, you kind of have have answered my, my concern, which is for me, I, it's the random factor, mm -hmm. right? Because in a session I have like this, a lot of things to do, and maybe in another session I have like barely any. So making player responsibility kind of solves it when I have too much in my hands, but sometimes I have barely none. Mm -hmm. So what, what you guys could suggest to, you know, help this, to reduce this randomness? I, and I also really like the idea of starting them uh, slower, like start with one point, then two points, and three points. I think that's yeah, that's helps the players. Do you did, any suggestions from you guys before I blab? Okay. Um, okay. Is there a number of results that you find optimal? Yeah, like three or four. Guess what? Like my sweet spot. <laughs> Generate You're three. You're doing it again with the. Do you like critical hits? You like confirming on crits? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So he just, he then why he, would you do it? He cares so, what you want. So, <laughs> so three is optimal for your yeah. play sessions. Generate three every time, randomly between the player characters. Um, also, put in a chance that one of them is coming from a different icon completely. It has nothing to do with player characters, but that's a chance. It doesn't always happen. Then you've got your three results, and you can actually, but you know you got them, and you want them. That's the thing. You want three. You'd rather. You're telling me you'd rather not have zero or one. Okay, do it. You know, and I think that the thing is, is that mathematically, in a weird sense, if the choice, honestly, if the choice of which character's result is determined randomly, it's functionally just the same. As, as doing the random roll <laughs> over the course of a million, you know, whatever. It's just that you set a you set a cap. So mathematically, it's okay, and you'll probably have a better game. Rats. What should have thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, so I, I think I. That's a, that's another thing I may be headed to myself. It's it's particularly funny that the number of icon rolls increases with the tiers. Well. I remember that conversation. <laughs> it's like, yes, it is funny that it does. I'm not sure that it had to. I think if I was doing it right now, I might, I mean, honestly, if I was doing it right now, I might not let it. Because I'm not positive that from a storytelling sense, that the weird thing is that the storytelling, it's not like, and now, bigger stories. Well, actually, it turns out to be, no, the stories are taking care of themselves. It's, and now, more results. It's like, I don't know, you know, maybe we didn't need that. What's, what's funny is when you use the tokens that give them mechanical benefits, then it does then scale it like everything else, right? Then it matters. But, yeah, from a storytelling from perspective, a storytelling you're like, perspective. Oh, I got, like, nine things, you know, like, I don't know, dragons, whatever. Now, I'm pretty sure that, for instance, Ash is, like, designed places and various products that I don't believe are the ones that are being published for Hellbrain, that I didn't really look at, that may be using icon relationships results in mm -hmm. other ways. And in those cases, hey, five dice, yay. But, you know, there's also a chance that if your game... Look, if you feel like I'm rolling too many dice and I'm not using them, well, maybe don't. You know, go ahead and, like, and say, cap it at three. And then, maybe, for some... Like, here's the way... Okay, here's the way I actually do these things. Whenever I realize I've given away too much and I want to pull it back, what I say is, okay, I'm pulling it back. But on a really special occasion, when it really, really matters, you know, well, once a level... You know, whatever. You can roll five dice because you're effing. And that's, you know, and that's it. And the weird part about it is, it's like, maybe I should have done that in the first place. You know, it's like, so there's that element of, like, one of the tricks of being a game designer is that you realize some of the stuff times you give stuff away that's all the time, actually people would have been perfectly excited and happy to have it as a, a special thing instead of something they have all the time. Maybe more icon dice is like that. Was one in the black t-shirt. Okay. Uh, real quick, did you ever have any thought of putting, say, roll ones on the relationship, something <laughs> on the other spectrum from the icon? I was wondering if people are, are using like ones or, or negative results. I don't want to give away all the things for doing Glorantha. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a treasure trove for the Glorantha fans. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's the weird thing. The Glorantha stuff is this, like this. Um, the, the the Kickstarter starts on the 27th of this month. We've got little postcards around. Um, the intent is is that all the mechanical pieces, which is to say monsters, 
player character classes, the things that act like treasure and stuff like that, is all perfectly compatible with 13th Age mechanics. <laughs> also, the version of Icon Relationship Dice will be also useful in 13th Age. And you might, and, and, and you know, and there's definitely, I'm pretty sure in Glorantha, the thing is, it's not as simple as Roll of One, but, mm -hmm. but it's connected to Rolling Ones. So, uh, and, uh, yeah. So the answer is yes. Now, the, in the, the funny part about it is, is that in general 13th Age, <coughs> the way the, boy. <coughs> okay, I'm not losing my voice, I'm not losing my voice. <laughs> In general, 13th Age, the way the icon relationships rules work right now, I don't think you need it in a weird way. There's enough going on that it's almost like, oh, and also you roll a one, boom! You know, it's like, I'm not positive that's good. On the other hand, if the icon relationship stuff gets a little simpler, which I think it's doing in Garantha, with a system that could be directly ported over and used in 13th Age, <laughs> then instead, you know, of like this or that, choose. And in fact, I think, ideally, I think that the, like once that's done right, you would be able as a game master to say because of the tension and issues that are coming up in the campaign at this point congratulations, we're going to use the Glorantham relationship system for this session. Everybody's like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> uh, and so, so that's the goal. So. I think we're going to need to uh, shut this down. It's uh, 4 o'clock. Rats. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the sign is that your voice goes, and that's what the panel is. So, uh, but yeah, we'll be happy to talk with you guys at the Pilgrim Press uh, booth, booth 101. Um, if you're interested in Glorantha, Moon Design has a booth also, and they will be more than happy to talk to you there. And, 337 uh, is their booth. 337. And we got and the postcards for the Kickstarter up here. Postcards. And uh, yeah, just so if you see us, talk to us about games. We like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.